All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Scope at Launch, a special edition of the Scope podcast. My name is Paul Hackbarth, and I'll be your host for today's webinar. We're going to touch on a couple of housekeeping items before we get started. Uh, first, uh, please note this Zoom uh, session will be recorded. Uh, we'd like to know who everyone is, so please ensure your name is accurate. I'll be moderating. I'll be moderating today's session. <clears throat> excuse me, with my Phelps Health marketing colleague Hillary McCash. Uh, so one of us will be sure to help you if you need it. Please note that each of you are currently muted. Uh, if you have a question that pertains to the topic being discussed, you're welcome to add that to the chat box, and we'll try to get that question answered for you. Um, you can also add comments in the chat box. Uh, one thing to note about the chat box is that you can uh, um, add uh, questions and comments. Uh, you can send them to the whole group or just one person. Um, we encourage you to send your questions uh, to the whole group so that everyone can participate. Um, however, if you want to send a private message to either uh, uh, me or Hillary, um, you're welcome to do that as well, too. Uh, we will be conducting a poll or two throughout this Zoom meeting, so you'll get a chance to interact then if you choose. Um, <clears throat> and of course, remember the chat feature. And for those of you watching um, on our Facebook Live, um, you're welcome to um, add comments and uh, emoticons there, too. Some of you may be using a mobile device while others are using a laptop or a computer. Um, if you find that the features are not the same, we just ask that you participate with us uh, however you can. And uh, finally, if you have any issues, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have any issues with your sound, uh, the Zoom meeting or other features, uh, please use the chat box and one of our moderators will be happy to help you. So before we begin, I wanna to introduce today's expert, uh, Dr. Dr. Thomas Guerrero-Garcia is a board-certified medical oncologist and hematologist with the Phelps Health Delbert Day Cancer Institute. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invitation, Paul. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you with us. Um, Dr. Guerrero, since, <clears throat> excuse me, is, since this is your first time on our show, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I spent some time before coming to Missouri in the New England area in my training there and spent pretty much eight years in the Boston area. Uh, learning about cancer and then uh, getting training uh, in cancer before uh, coming to the state of Missouri. So uh, that's where I was uh, spending my time. Um, all my spare time, I do different things, spend with my Tammy, love reading, as well as uh, playing different sports, including soccer and, uh, and other kinds of sports with my family as well. Um, that's a little bit about me. All right. Sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties here. All right, so. Well, again, uh, we appreciate you being with us uh, here today, uh, Dr. Guerrero. Um, before we get into today's topic, um, I have um, uh, some polling questions and a little quiz. Um, don't worry, you won't be uh, graded on that. Um, sure. But I'm gonna go ahead and launch this. Um, so uh, if you guys can answer uh, true or false, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer, there is no point in quitting smoking. Is that, uh, do you think that statement is true or false? <clears throat> all right. And uh, all you guys answered false and that is the correct answer. Um, so, um, Dr. Guerrero may talk more about this later, but, um, yeah, if, um, um, if you have lung cancer, um, I think there, I think the outcomes are a lot better, um, if you quit smoking, uh, during that, isn't that correct, uh, Dr. Guerrero? 
Yeah, we could talk that later on uh, and review this question in a more detailed fashion. I think uh, there's some data out there to suggest that we definitely we need to move forward with, you know, um, trying to uh, really quit smoking um, as a matter of prevention, then also when you have been diagnosed as well. Okay. All right. And then um, I also have a little poll here. Um, I'm going to launch this. Um, I just thought from our uh, uh, audience, it'd be good to know. Um, so do you know someone who has lung cancer or had lung cancer in the past? And so we have sort of a mixed bag here. So uh, some have say some say yes, they do know someone, and some others don't. Uh, so um, hopefully by the end of this webinar, we'll all know a little bit more about uh, lung cancer. So with that, let's get into um, our questions. So um, again, our topic today we're talking about uh, new approaches to care in the early stages of lung cancer. Um, and we have, um, Dr. Guerrero has some great information to share with us about that. Um, so before we get started, or, uh, let's start with question number one. Uh, Dr. Guerrero, what is lung cancer and what are the two main types of lung cancer? Yeah, so lung cancer is our most common um, malignancy of abnormal cells that um, uh, have DNA damage in the lung um, and many parts of the lung, and therefore they contribute to a malignant process that depending on what type of cell we find, we uh, subcategorize the type of lung cancer, but basically it's a, um, a cancer of the um, lung and its parts. And we have uh, two main types of lung cancer, generally speaking, they further divide into other subtypes, but to answer the question, it's two types, small cell, being a more aggressive lung cancer and a non-small cell type of lung cancer. So those are the two main types of lung cancer we have. Okay. All right. Thanks for sharing that information. All right. On to question two. Um, how common is lung cancer in the United States? And uh, also how common is lung cancer in South Central Missouri? So this hasn't changed for a while. Uh, we are hoping as the rates of smoking um, by the numbers we are seeing continue to decrease to see less lung cancer, but fortunately continues to be one of the most common cancers in the US when it's been diagnosed is the number one, you know, number, um, number one cancer being diagnosed is lung cancer. And in South Central Missouri represents a significant part because unfortunately there are high rates of smoking as well in the state. So it continues to be quite prevalent and it continues to be our number one routine consultation in our clinic. So it's fairly common. Okay, good to know. All right, question three, what are the different stages of lung cancer, Dr. Guerrero? So uh, lung cancer can be uh, staged by um, different variables. Uh, we take into consideration the size of the tumor, uh, the spreading of the tumor to the nodes or the lymph nodes, we call them. Those are glands. Uh, lung cancer likes to spread like other can cancers to the glands. So we take that into the equation. And then unfortunately, if we do find 
the, um, the event of widespread cancer that we think it's lung cancer, that also takes into a question of saying you have stage one, two, three, or four lung cancer. So we take different variables and often we are straightforward saying what stage you have. Sometimes it's a little bit more different, but in general speaking, for, um, for answering the question one, two, and three, and four are the stages of lung cancer. Okay. And then the lower the number, the earlier the stage, and then the higher the number, the more advanced? Correct. So as the number increase, the number of findings are more. Everything seems to be more bulky or more larger. The worse the stage, the worse that the picture gets complicated by more treatment you might need, mm. but more of the prognosis that can change as the stages go to a higher number. Okay. All right. Good information. Under our next question, number four, uh, Dr. Guerrero, what are the signs and symptoms of lung cancer? Yeah, this is a very often um, a complicated um, question because 75% uh, of lung cancer that we diagnose and see, um, it's already in advanced stage, at least stage three, if not stage four. Some of these patients do not have any symptoms at all. So the answer here would be sometimes none. So sometimes they just happen to be, you know, getting some other form of, you know, imaging or, um, you know, x-ray or CAT scan for other reason. And there we go. We find numerous of lesions and it's already advanced when we get to the diagnosis. So sometimes are no symptoms in the majority of patients are falling into that category. When do when patients do have the symptoms and signs of lung cancer, they can range from just shortness of breath, some cough, some cough with a bloody sputum uh, or phlegm, uh, weight loss significantly. Um, they could have also pain in the shoulder areas, in the chest or in the back. Uh, so pain could be a sign of that. Um, but those generally are the majority of you know, the symptoms and signs of lung cancer. Lung cancer can present also in a variety of what we call complications of the cancer itself. Uh, it could bring clots to the picture. It could bring neurological complications. So this answer could be quite broad and it really is unique to the every presentation of what we see. But those were in the majority of the cases, the symptoms of lung cancer. That's a little interesting and surprising to me that um, that so many of these cases um, start with no symptoms at all, um, yes. and uh, like you said, they're either caught like on a on a scan or some other medical imaging. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Question five: um, Can lung cancer be found early, and if so, how? So this connects to the previous question because I think we are trying to move forward the field towards finding these early because the early we find it, the better in terms of prognosis and the better that we could potentially even say and you know use the word cure for lung cancer because there is one. It's just unfortunately that it's you know, a low percentage because the majority of people would be found to have the disease in the more advanced stages. So can it be found early? Absolutely, I'm proud to say that, you know, um, the organization here um, with Delbert Day has been 
launch the program of the lung cancer screening. And so that's actually to answer this question, to find it early. And so the answer is yes. How will we do what we call a low-dose CT scan, so a plain CAT scan, um, that people are familiar with that term, uh, to find lung cancer and then try to see if we caught it early enough so that we could provide the best therapy at that point that potentially can cure the cancer. All right, that's great. And then uh, a follow-up question to that. Um, so how would, uh, if I'm a patient, how would I know if I'm eligible for lung cancer screening? Yeah, so the, the best way to, to answer this is that you need to ask because now the lung cancer screening program has gone to not just, for example, a cancer institute. It has really been expanded so that we are providing this type of screening to not the patients that will only show up to the um, to the cancer clinic or institute, but actually beyond that. And so these are programs that are reaching out even to the primary providers and you know internal medicine clinics and family clinics. And we're seeing more of this. Uh, and they're gonna be able to tell you if you're eligible. They will follow a particular criteria of a smoking um, history of an age that needs to be you know, also fulfill. And so we follow a particular set of multiple criteria to tell you, you will be eligible to this low dose CT scan and therefore go ahead and do it. So the best way to say is as your primary provider and if you're seeing obviously in the cancer clinic, then we will be telling you if you're eligible or not. So the best thing will be if you have a smoking history or your current smoking, um, you know, person to ask your um, provider and your doctor about if you're eligible for lung cancer screen. Okay, that's great. And uh, for those of you following along in the chat, um, Hillary has been putting some great resources there about lung cancer and then as well as the um, lung cancer uh, screening uh, guidelines. And that link uh, has some more information about that that you're uh, welcome to look at. All right, moving on to question seven. Um, you might have, you, I think you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. The earlier, the, the earlier that we can find cancer, the more options. But uh, why, why is early detection of lung cancer so important? The key answer to this question is, you know, to provide cure. There is cure for lung cancer, believe me or not. Now, why is it? It doesn't stand out because majority of people cannot be cured with the disease because it's already advanced. So going back to early detection. It's so important because we can provide you that potentially 15 to 20%, you know, which is not 0%, but it's still an important number for us to say, you are within this group that we could potentially say, we could cure you from the disease. Uh, despite that, we struggle with the, the nature of the beast of this cancer, because there's no other word for it, that it could come back. But the early we detect it the better for you in terms of potentially curing the disease. So that's why it's, it's very important to have early detection. Okay. That's a great answer, thank you. All right, moving on to question eight. Um, how is lung cancer typically treated? Yeah, so often the best way to do it is what we actually apply um, here at Delbert Date. We talk to all the single, uh, all the different modalities, I'm sorry, that. Um, to brainstorm and typically integrate. It's an integration of different uh, ideas to treat the lung cancer. And those typically involve talking to the surgeon uh, for potentially in the question where you are a surgical resectable 
patient that could have you know lung cancer being operated so surgery would be one I am part of the medical oncology team. So um, I'm the doctor who delivers different therapies. So not anymore. The only treatment available will be um, chemotherapy for lung cancer. Nowadays, we have names such as targeted therapy, immunotherapy, um, and uh, um, uh, um, we are finding more ways of treating cancer, but in general speaking, we talk with the radiation uh, oncologists. Uh, we have a very tight program with them about how to treat lung cancer. And often we do a multidisciplinary um, team approach in which we talk everybody about these potential ways of delivering you know, lung cancer therapy, and then talk about the best pathway for a particular patient. So everybody's different in terms of their potential treatment options, which will involve, again, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, or the newer, more targeted therapy or immunotherapy. Okay. Yeah, I like what you said. Since everybody is different, since each type of cancer is different, that, that, treatment, is, that treatment is going to be individualized for each unique person. All right. So uh, Dr. Guerrero, kind of switching gears here, um, uh, well, well, you kind of mentioned there were some new uh, sort of uh, therapies, um, but what's new in lung cancer research? Can you kind of share um, uh, what's new in this field? Yeah, so in related to what we're going to be talking later on, I think um, about early stage, I'm, I'm going to try to nail it down to um, what's new there. Okay. Uh, because it could be a very broad, you know, present. <laughs> yeah, we could be here all day. Cancer research. But going back to early stages, I think, you know, before um, we have been struggling to give, um, um, for example, chemotherapy before surgery, the outcomes in lung cancers have not been the best when we have given first chemotherapy and then sending the patient to surgery. We thought of that approach being one that could potentially change the outcomes of lung cancer. So doing chemotherapy first, then removing the tumor by the surgeons, we will think that that will lead to a better cancer outcome. It hasn't really pan out. And what's new in research is the work of immunotherapy. From the very beginning of delivering immunotherapy in stage four, this has now changed by research all the way down to stage one. The whole idea behind that is trying to bring new therapies that seem to be working better than just chemotherapy. And I like to highlight the just because it's not that chemotherapy doesn't work or it's out of the picture, but it will be better if we combine immunotherapy with chemotherapy to have better cancer outcomes. And that's basically what two major papers are showing that uh, nowadays we could approach it that way. One was just recently published. Um, the, um, the findings of this study um, did actually the combination of immunotherapy with chemotherapy in resectable patients early on stages of disease, such as stage one, all the way to stage three. And it proved the endpoint result that the cancer outcome was better, meaning if that cancer were to be operated, that giving chemotherapy along with radiation almost doubled the response for finding no cancer after the patient was operated. Before, 
you know, you were operated and you were taking out cancer. Now what we're doing with this, with this research and this question is we're taking out no cancer, but we still take out what we think we need to take out, but it's now with no cancer. So it's a little bit, it, the way to explain this better is we're taking out what we're not seeing because we believe there still might be something, but we're not seeing it. It's better and that, that thinking has led to better results than just go ahead and taking it by chemotherapy um, giving first. So I think um, it's, uh, it's something that has changed now our practices. We're talking more with the surgeon. The surgeons are also calling us more about giving these therapies first for resectable patients um, and doing it in that way, given the, um, the findings of the research. The other landscaping um, and major landmark studies are seeing is in some patients who have been um, um, operated for, you know, this is a fairly recent study. So there are many patients there that were operated um, um, on lung cancer. It's the after. So the after surgery, do, can we do something other than chemotherapy? And there are, you know, multiple studies out there in early stages of lung cancer saying that not just chemotherapy should be given and that immunotherapy or that other type of, you know, treatment called targeted therapy can also be given in early stages. And the next thing is to talk about, you know, biomarkers. It is definitely driven by biomarkers. So nowadays, that's a new word for lung cancer. We need to know your biomarkers. These are cellular markers and, um, and biological, you know, um, um, events in cancer cells, such as even genes or pathways of how cancer grows. When cancer grows, it has a particular way of growing. If we identify that pathway and we have a drug for that pathway, we shut down cancer by actually targeting that pathway. So it's very specific and that's not considered chemotherapy. And that's being used after you know, lung cancer has been operated and that's new. And so uh, we are checking for multiple things compared to the old days of just treating cancer just by surgery and chemotherapy. Okay, so thanks for sharing all that. That's really, inter uh, really interesting information. Um, you, you kind of touched on our next question about um, cancer biomarkers um, and how they're used. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add about uh, that topic? Well, just to expand that biomarkers are used, you know, it started with just checking biomarkers in the late stages of lung cancer. But again, everything, the, the field is rapidly moving to early stages because we think we could treat biomarker very differently. And like you said, very individualized by, you know, even early stages. And so this means we need to check these things for knowing if there's any driver, we call them driver mutation or actional mutations. There's one, it is most likely we could use even that in terms of research or if there's actually already a FDA approved drug to use it early on in the stages of lung cancer. So this is changing how we are treating lung cancer. Okay. Again, good information to share, thank you. All right. Um, when I was researching this topic, another um, term I came across was uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors. Um, can you tell us what those are and how they work? So we started with just one and now it's a blooming, you know, um, uh, it's a blooming um, um, 
uh, option with many different uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors. We call this in the immunotherapy. So this is these are two words that mean the, the same. Uh, is the newest uh, thing that is actually not just happening in lung cancer, but throughout cancer. It's basically a new way of treating cancer. How it works, different from chemotherapy in many ways, the way it works, it brings your immune system to attack the cancer cell. How it will actually inhibit or it will stop the signaling that cancer cells have with your T cells, which are part of your immune cells. They have a way of connecting each other. Cancer is clever enough to actually do not disconnect that pathway to have the cell grow. And that's how cancer keeps growing. Well, the word right there in your slide, inhibitor, will stop that. By inhibiting or stopping that, we think the immune uh, system then therefore can take over and really kill the cancer cell. And effectively, this is working again in advanced stages and in early stages. Is it curing the disease? No, it has not been so far something we can be saying, this will cure your disease. But I have to say, Paul, that we are seeing some remarkable responses that we've never seen before. There's a, a lot of stories there about immunotherapy that I'm sure even if you go yourself on Google and in different blogs, that we people say positive things about immunotherapy. And there are other stories that could be also negative, but overall it represents a very good option um, in terms of other treatment uh, options for lung cancer. So, but that's how they work. All right. So that's, that's interesting. Kind of like what you said about using our own immune system to, I mean, which I guess is part of our body to, you know, attack those or to protect our bodies from, from these uh, foreign uh, cells and cancer cells and things like that. Okay. Question 12, um, what are some new targeted therapies for lung cancer? I, again, I think you might've touched on this a little bit, but if there's any more you wanna add. Yeah, so um, this is kind of going more specific and there's no better way to tell you this. <laughs> Let's say we started checking for, you know, a particular driver mutation, again, some genetic inside the cancer cell, some genetic, you know, abnormalities. And we find those genetic abnormalities and we target with a particular drugs. In lung cancer before, now this is not something very new. We have been doing this now over a decade, but we started finding just one, you know, driver mutation, one genetic driver, and that was uh, EGFR, was the first kind of driver mutation we found in lung cancer, and we targeted that. So we were very specific about your lung cancer is growing, not because of smoking history, but because of this driver mutation called EGFR. And so now what we do, and we are actually doing this in Del Verde, is we're expanding that testing for not finding one, but for finding many or newest, even the ones that we don't know, to try to target the pathway with these therapies. And most of these therapies are actually oral medications, like oral pills not any more IV or infusions. And so the other option that brings to this uh, question is now we're treating lung cancer with a pill. And you know, decades and decades ago, that was, we had no therapies for that. So that represents another new potential therapy for you if you happen to have a particular driver mutation or a particular signaling pathway that we could target with a pill. And there are many out there. It's another area of just research that is blooming out for
for finding new mutations and targeting them with a pill if we have one. So that's really expanding. And the same thing that just started with advanced stages of lung cancer. And now they're going all the way down to early disease, to early stages of lung cancer. So that's how lung cancer is going to be treated everywhere. No matter if you have one stage, two, three, or four, we need to check your biomarkers. We need to see, you know, what the cancer is telling us and then approach it in these many different ways. Okay, that's great. So, and uh, I, I think you, you answered sort of my follow-up questions. I meant, but I was meaning to ask, as we're talking about these new um, therapies and uh, different treatment options, um, a lot of these are available at uh, the Delbert Day Cancer Institute, correct? Yeah, there's no question that if we were to find something that cannot be targeted, that, you know, we don't have it, but the ones that are available, these are FDA drugs and we are using them. Uh, we have patients on it. I have to say that despite talking and discussing the patients, you know, the side effects, because there's really no drug without yeah. side effects, that these are well-tolerated drugs and they work, for example, just to mention an example, the response rate of one of the therapies that targets the EGFR, it's over 85% response. Wow. So you do not have in lung cancer, a particular drug that you come in saying to a patient, we're gonna give you this drug and we think it's gonna work with this amount of uh, high responses and percentages. We, we, we don't have that you know, in the old decades. So this represents very good you know, um, cancer options that we definitely go into the details of everything we do and you know how is this gonna make you feel and all that for sure but you know to know the background of that how it works and how likely is it gonna work these are very effective drugs uh, that's great and it's also great that, that you can get these treatments right here um in rala and you don't have to go far for them oh absolutely there's no question we could just um do these drugs here locally and yeah. be fit for the patients in the community yeah, that's great. Okay. All right. Um, so since we've been talking about um, different uh, treatment options uh, for lung cancer patients, um, Dr. Guerrero, can you kind of go through who all is who all is involved in the cancer treatment patient? Would they see um, oncologists like you? Would they? Um, you said possibly maybe a surgeon. Uh, would they? Would their primary care provider be involved? Yeah. So. I think, like I said before, it's a multidisciplinary approach that we take here. And I think for the better, because in that way we brainstorm and we try to really nail it down to the best treatment pathway to treat this particular you know, uh, disorder and, and the actual patient. And so a patients often will get actually overwhelmed. That's the right word. They get to meet many providers from the start of what brought the issue, maybe a normal chest X-ray from their primary care doctors and the primary care doctors, you know, um, um, uh, talking to us about what to be done next. And then us talking to the surgeons, us talking to the radiation oncologists, us talking to the radiologists about what the picture and the imaging studies are showing. As you see right there, I just mentioned five to six providers. They eventually, you know, in Delver Day, we approach it in the way of really a, a 360 degree. And that means we want to know your nutrition. They might need nutritionists. They might need to talk with, uh, you know, our social worker here. They might have financial questions and issues. We take it beyond that uh, to make sure we hit every single you know, uh, concern and question that patients have as this obviously is overwhelming for the patient. So they end, end up 
um, knowing a lot of people really throughout this uh, diagnosis. Okay, yeah. So and it's great with Phelps Health being such a uh, like a healthcare system that it is. We have all that under one, you know, one system, and they don't have to go to different healthcare systems. We have all that right here at Phelps Health. And uh, I'm glad you also mentioned, yeah, some of those cancer uh, support team. Uh, staff members like our nutritionist and uh, social worker and nurse navigator. Those those are all great um, people to help uh, people oh, through this those journey. Are, those are key staff and personnel uh, that are our right hand. And I have to say that um, uh, I am quite pleased with each one of them because they really devote their time and everything and eventually becomes such an important part of our like plan of care. And so, you know, sometimes the financial issues cannot let us proceed. And sometimes we have resolved many, um, uh, many issues uh, with just our financial worker, our social worker that without them, we couldn't proceed. So they're key into our plan for treating cancer. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that statement. All right. Uh, question 14, uh, Dr. Guerrero, uh, does Phelps Health offer clinical trials? And if so, how can patients enroll? Yeah, I think this is something that I'm very excited and, and very proud um, that, you know, in, uh, in a community, which is not obviously the biggest one, uh, that we have, you know, around 20 or 25,000 people, uh, that we are not the largest, obviously, cancer center in the state. Um, that we offer clinical trials and particularly to lung cancer that we keep expanding those clinical trials for patients. Uh, there's certainly, you know, very, um, very um, uh, specific criteria that they need to meet and that, that's, you know, clinical trials, they're all like that. They're very specific towards a particular question they're trying to answer. Uh, so we help the patients um, uh, to navigate through which trial might be the appropriate trial for you. And also I uh, have to say, and again, that's why we started being that I'm proud. We have a team that is dedicated for that as well. Um, and so we help the patients navigate through that clinical trial with that team. And they help us also being uh, on top of what clinical trials are coming in terms of what potentially we could actually offer to the patient. So we often now in Delver Day take not only the standard approach of what's available in the community and FDA approved, but actually what could be potentially something that it's experimental that for us makes sense that you're gonna be offered in, uh, in another large city and not anymore also need to travel for a clinical trial and also getting clinical trials locally. This is another way of treating cancer. So clinical trials are another treatment way of treating cancer and could be very effective. And we use it, we sometimes recommend it. A clinical trials for everybody, no, but we take that you know, decision to tell you if you're the right patient for a clinical trial and if we have one available here and if that's the right for you. And so I'm really proud to say that we are you know, expanding that. We have more trials um, every day. And then uh, if you can enroll, we will let you know when we are talking to you about if this is the one for you or not. Okay. 
Um, I think you might have answered this question too, but um, so if, if a lung cancer patient is considering whether to take part in a clinical trial, they would work with their, um, either their doctor, oncologist, and their staff um, to decide yeah, the right. I'm lucky to be part of, um, of, of your team and taking care of you. I will be letting you know if a clinical trial will be indicated for you, if it's appropriate for you, if that trial will make sense uh, to actually get uh, enrolled and involved. And if not, why not? And so uh, definitely, I think this will be part of the medical oncologies, the radiation oncologies, because there are trials that involve also radiation. So not just, you know, um, like drugs, but the actual radiation as a part of the treatment could be part of a way in a clinical trial to, you know, answer a question. Um, and so definitely another answer to the multidisciplinary approach to see whether a clinical trial could be actually you know, part of your treatment pathway. Okay. All right, so let's switch gears and talk about uh, risk factors for lung cancer. Um, can you go over uh, what are the risk factors for lung cancer and how can people reduce their risk? Yeah, so I think the number one um, risk factor that we struggle, uh, that we try our best to um, reduce the risk is going to be obviously the smoking. And I think to answer probably um, the next uh, uh, questions around typical, you know, um, questions about smoking is we try really hard to get you enrolled to different ways. You know, the state provides different informations, the internet provides different information. We try to give you a pamphlet of, you know, what are the ways that we think are the most effective ways to you know, reduce the chances of lung uh, cancer if you are a smoking patient. So sometimes when see, I see patients from other, you know, reasons other than cancer, because we also see sometimes some blood disorders or some, you know, um, uh, other, you know, uh, illnesses that are not cancer related. And I see a significant history of cancer. I often stop there and start, you know, talking about um, their risk. And remember that, you know, smoking and the risk that that puts you for lung cancer is not just for lung cancer, but also for other types of many cancers, not just cancer, but actually cardiovascular disease, stroke, and many other things. So we really try to figure out how can we develop a plan for you to stop smoking, help you, and minimize the risk for lung cancer. So that's the biggest one. There are other risk factors. Um, uh, we haven't tied up too much family history, but certainly uh, there could be something that puts you more at risk when we have identified a particular, you know, uh, family history. Um, there are other exposures that are environmental that will lead you to lung cancer, different types of lung cancer as, as best exposures. We still ask that patients for those. So there are different environmental risk factors that we will ask for us to think about, you know, um, can you develop uh, lung cancer? Certainly patients that have received radiation therapy for other um, reasons, uh, we're gonna ask them, you know, what was that exposure? And we're gonna think how you could be um, developing lung cancer if you were exposed to that particular treatment. So, but the main one being the one that we tried really to tackle being that smoking history. Okay. Yeah, and I like what you said. A lot of these ways to reduce your risk um, of lung cancer, they help with reducing the risk of so many other diseases, like you said, heart disease and um, so many other different uh, diseases and that stuff too, which is great. All right. 
Um, question 17. Uh, so say um, somebody has been diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, they went through the treatment successfully, they're in remission. Is there any specific lifestyle that they should follow if they've um, already had lung cancer and are in remission? Yeah, the, if there's a smoking history, that's the one to pay attention that we could significantly um, continue to stress. So I would say that's the number one. And then, you know, um, there is no too much science behind telling you how to maintain your health. There's no much science that you need to come to a doctor to say that, you know, we consider, you know, an active lifestyle and that we promote health by trying to maintain exercise and eat healthy. You know, there are many foods out there that are not healthy. So we like to stress the ones, you know, that are healthy. And, uh, and a lot of people know what are those kinds of food. There's no particular diet that you should follow for lung cancer once you have lung cancer, specific, and specifically if you're in remission. There hasn't been one, uh, you know, there's one for heart disease, but there's no one for lung cancer itself. So staying active, I always encourage my patients, and we talk a lot about exercise and also different types of, you know, uh, stress-free lifestyle. So uh, I personally have recommended, you know, that people try to join, you know, internet programs of yoga and try to get that stress uh, out of you when you have been, um, you know, a cancer uh, survivor patient. So I think those are my key points when I see a patient in remission after lung cancer has been treated. Okay, that's great advice. All right, um, any, I, I think you kind of answered this question earlier um, and then uh, I just want to refer everyone to the chat. Um, Hillary put in there some, uh, uh, if you are uh, wanting to learn more about uh, quitting smoking, uh, there are some, uh, there's Missouri tobacco quit line and there's a, a website on there you can uh, find some good great resources um, um, available uh, that so Dr. Greer do we have any like resources here at Phelps Health um, besides those uh, state ones or um, the ones uh, that are in a pamphlet that we give to all patients here I think involves the ones that are the state but brings okay. uh, other ones that are uh, also available through not only internet but actually by phone Oh. Uh, and so we have those. I'm, I'm sure that we could share that pamphlet with everybody. And then there's many ways there. Again, there's not just internet for the ones that for some reason cannot get to the internet. And then so there's a, a hotline number that you could call. So internet, phone, and then obviously, um, you know, other uh, state um, uh, available options for smoking cessation. Okay, that's great. Well, that wraps up um, our presentation. Um, I think we have a few minutes. Um, if anybody has any questions, uh, I haven't seen any come in yet, though. Um, while we're waiting, Dr. Guerrero, was there anything else um, that you wanted to just add about this topic while we're talking about it? No, just to highlight the importance of you know uh, staying um, um, in the most um, healthy you know uh, uh, state of uh, life. Uh, lifestyle activity and and yes we stress about you know that smoking sensation and also um, how can we help you stop smoking and I think to highlight the lung cancer prevention program here at Delbert Day and Felt Health throughout their organization uh, asking your doctor if you could be part of that particular screening I think that's probably the best you know message out there uh, because we have it it's running it's going well 
and, uh, and, and, and we're seeing now cases because we're doing it. So we're doing it because we know we're gonna find it. So I think that's probably out, the best message out there is talk to your doctors about whether you are uh, a patient who could be screened for lung cancer. Okay, great. Yeah. And we'll share some of these resources um, with the follow-up email for all the participants. Um, so uh, again, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, um, I, I don't think I don't think we have any questions. Um, I think that means you just did a great job, Dr. Guerrero, and uh, you answered all their questions uh, before. So, um, all righty. So uh, to wrap up here, guys, um, again, thank you so much for uh, everyone for tuning into the Scope at Lunch and a huge thank you for Dr. Guerrero for uh, joining us today. Thank you for, for the invitation. Um, yeah, you so yeah we, we really appreciate all the insight you've been able to share with us. Um, as a reminder, the show has been recorded and will be emailed to all participants. Um, it can also be rewatched on our Facebook page um, and you can share it maybe with your family and friends who have missed the show. Um, we really encourage you to do that. Um, if you do like the podcast and want to know more, you can check out our, our other episodes uh, of the Scope podcast on YouTube or you can visit phelpshelp.org. Um, everyone have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Have a good day. You too.